morning, good afternoon, good evening. We are so glad that you are here with us on all of the above. We love talking about theology, philosophy of ministry, books, the Bible. We love Jesus. We love making much of him. My name is Aaron Markham. I am one of the pastors at Ridgewood Church in Greer. I am joined by my colleague, uh, fellow pastor at Ridgewood, Trevor Nathaniel Hoffman. Trevor, what's going on? Just lamenting the fact that Zaxby's is renovating. Um, here's a question for you, Aaron. Zaxby's is renovating? Z- yeah, the, the one in, in Greer. Greer. They're going to um, shut down? How do you feel about restaurants that are decorated with like trombones and roller skates and like old baskets and farm implements? It's and- kind of it's kind of weird. It feel like I don't I just don't understand. I don't understand the decorations in Zaxby's. My kids love it because they always find goofy or Mickey well, is there. Well, they're not. It's there's not that decor anymore. And correct. Yeah, they took it down to repaint or well, that's what whatever. I'm saying. Jonathan and I were talking about this. Something's lost. Like, do you remember Applebee's back in the day? Mm-hmm. You'd have like an old pair of shoulder pads and. Yeah, then you'd, you'd have a tuba. You'd be looking at them while you're eating your mozzarella sticks. Yeah. We'd go there after church a lot on Sundays. That's yeah. good. Hey, my question for you, uh, since we're going to talk about the law here in a minute, what was one rule that you had growing up in your household that you did not like, you had a hard time obeying, heeding to? Yeah, give me give me a rule from the, the Hoffman house. A law, you might say, mm. that... Uh, that ran the show in the Hoffman house? I guess because uh, Applebee's is on the brain. Um, we were a water only, for the most part, like restaurant people, water only. Um, did not do appetizers, did not do desserts. Dessert at home. That's going to be my family. Yeah. It's my family currently. I've I've internalized it, and now I have. that was the standard, and I learned to love the We're standard. not paying $3.50 for you to Dude. have a Dr. Pepper. And in the 90s, you know, when I was a kid, it was only like a dollar fifty. And it's only got worse, so I'm with you. Plus, that stuff is so corrosive and horrible for you anyway. Um, so, yeah, we just do, except on Sundays. We let them get sodas on Sundays because it's Sunday and it's special. Soda like, Sunday. Yeah, we go out and get... The Lord's re- Day. Re- Sabbath. calls it Rockamole. We go to Rockamole, and we let them get Coke or whatever on the Lord's Day, yeah. So, no soda. So, yeah, water only. Water only. I'm with it. I'm with it. That seems like a good, a good healthy rule. Yeah. Um... We're kind of a water only milk when you're at home, maybe some juice. Yeah. Um, Got to get that. I don't understand. Why does every kid's meal come with a soda? Casey and I just always drink the soda. Or usually Casey just drinks the soda. Yeah. We so used I don't know to be if that's allowed. With that, but now our kids are old enough to understand what we're but doing. But it's like, I'm ordering this for a three year old. Yeah. Why am I get, What am I getting out of this soda machine? I don't yeah. understand. Which I guess that's why they offer juice. Sparkling water. That's one reason you get the chicken finger plate, comes with a drink, you can get AHA at Zaxby's. So wow. you can feel better about the garbage you're eating, but not drinking. Amazing. Love it. It's, yeah. All right. Well, this morning, this afternoon, this evening, whenever you're listening to this, we're going to talk about a little bit about the law. We are um, in a series where uh, we are going through the true story of the whole world. Uh, we're taking 12 weeks to essentially summarize the Bible's story. Um the grand narrative of, of Scripture, and this past Sunday, um, Trevor really helpfully went through the law for us. I did the Exodus the week prior, um, kind of the first 14 chapters or so, and then Trevor took kind of the, the second half of Exodus and and covered the law. Um, when we think about um, the, the, the Bible, we think about 
how God's people um, are ultimately crippled and condemned before the law, that they are unable to obey. They're therefore guilty before a holy God. So, Trevor, when we think about that, we think about we're condemned by the law. We, we do not obey the law well. What is the answer? Well, we know that the answer is Jesus. We know that the answer is that Jesus died for our sin, that he, you know, sends the, the Spirit. So we have the law of Christ on us. It's written on our hearts. Um, it's, um, you know, within us. But, Trevor, help me think about what, what exactly is the law of Christ. What is our code of ethics? What do we make of the the covenant, old covenant law, the 613 laws, I think, that you, you mentioned on summer, uh, on Sunday, you know, summarized in the in the Ten Commandments. What do we think about mixing fabrics? What do we think about all of these laws that I don't even know what they say? You know, you can't eat pork, um, you know, or pig, or what, you know, whatever. The, 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 the foot is split, or how, you know, however, all the different laws. We have the law of Christ, but we have all these other laws. How do how are we to 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 think about that? Yeah. So uh, the you know the summary is we we talked about the story of the giving of the law and yeah the people of Israel were crippled before it condemned by their disobedience and then Jesus is the answer like you said and Jesus dies for our sin to lift our condemnation and then he enables us to obey and writes the law on our hearts and the question is like what law is written on our hearts is it does he write the Ten Commandments on our hearts? Does he write those 613 laws on our hearts? How do we think about that? Um, the first thing I'd say, well, the first thing I'd say is um, the New Testament is the definitive commentary on the Old Testament. So if you want to know how to think about the Old Testament, we look at what the, what the New Testament says about the Old Testament. Or another way to think about that is uh, the New Testament's given logical priority over the Old Testament. So we don't just read the Old Testament as if it's like a one-for-one one for our situation, because some pretty important things have happened between now and then, namely the coming of Jesus, who fulfills the law, who sends the Spirit, you know, some pretty significant things have taken place. And so what the New Testament has to say about the Old, that that's how we read the Old. Um, the second thing is some folks like to take a... Um, like a civil ceremonial and moral approach to the law. So they'll go through the laws in the old covenant. Um, they'll look at like the pork and the uh, mixing of fabrics and they'll categorize it along one of those three lines, civil, ceremonial, moral. And they'll say that the civil and ceremonial laws were fulfilled in Jesus, but the moral laws remain. Um, but that to me, and this is, this is me speaking. This is not the elders. Um, I think there's probably differing opinions on the helpfulness of the threefold distinction. And I'm open to my mind being changed on this, but I think that's unsatisfying and an unhelpful approach for a couple of reasons. Um, number one is the new Testament doesn't do that. It doesn't make it. It, it talks about the law as a unit um, being fulfilled or re- repealed or obsolete in Christ. So it's the law. So it doesn't distinguish. It just says the law kind of as the law and that threefold distinction is not anywhere in the new Testament. Um, the second is like, when it comes to those three in particular, civil, ceremonial, and moral, what law isn't moral? You know, um, I, I get what it's saying. Like the stuff might be weighted differently in terms of it's like a violation of this thing. The blast radius is greater with adultery than say mixing your fabrics. Um, 
but if God says not to mix fabrics, then that's a moral issue. It's not, you know, you know what I mean. Um, and then the other, the other one. A lot of people have pointed this out. Is it's kind of unclear as to what actually fits in what. So the Sabbath, for instance, is that a civil ceremony or moral law? Um, a better categorization. I think the the Bible Project guys actually do this, and I think the Bible Project is mostly helpful. Don't agree with everything, but um, they they distinguish them according to holiness laws, sacrifice laws, justice laws, and sacred time, which feels like it's more precise. Um, so if you're wanting to categorize them, you can categorize them into those four. Um, still doesn't necessarily help answer that question because we still have to ask, like, okay, so so what of those laws remain or what law is there for a Christian? So yeah, that, I, I think that's helpful. I, more to say, but I'll pause there and let you. No, I think, I think that's helpful too and just thinking about <clears throat> murder, you know, feels different than adultery, which feels different than obeying your father and mother, which feels different than mixing fabrics, which feels different than eating, you know, the animal that splits the hoof, you know, right. it, it, all those, they, they, right. they, and I think that's what you're trying to do. I liked your, I, honestly, I like your language there of the blast radius. There's kind of a natural understanding that, that some of those things carry on, but maybe then the question is, why did those, why do certain things carry on? Yeah. Why are certain things maybe kind of ingrained in our hearts a different way? Yeah. Than, than other things. So so how does the New Testament treat the law? So there's this really there's this really good book, really helpful book that I really loved sitting on my desk right there. I lent it to somebody just this they, they just returned it this past Sunday called Paul and the Law by Brian Rosner. <clears throat> he's an Australian guy and so the accent's probably incredible as he's, you know, writing this. But um I guess you don't have an accent when you write. He probably uses puts a U in you don't, but you can words. you can think about it. Yeah. Um, but he's he's got a couple of R's, and then I came across this article a few weeks ago by a guy named Rowan Kemp. I don't know who this guy is, but um, he kind of riffed a little bit on Brian Rossner. He he says that the New Testament does three things, three R's with the law. First, um, the law is repealed as law code in Christ. We'll talk about each of these, but I'll hit them real quick repealed as law code in Christ, secondly, recognized as prophecy about Christ, and then third, reappropriated as wisdom in Christ. So, repealed as law code in Christ. So he says, and the New Testament speaks of the Old Covenant and those laws being contingent upon the existence of the Old Covenant. The the Old Covenant is obsolete. Um, And so those laws that were given as a part of the Old Covenant, the Mosaic Covenant, are obsolete with the Old Covenant, at least as Old Covenant laws. So the Ten Commandments are no longer binding as the Ten Commandments. I'm going to qualify that in a second. But that, I mean, but the idea is that the law as a unit is fulfilled. It is complete. It has served its purpose, and it is therefore obsolete. Um, Kemp kind of makes the point like this. He says, The point here is not merely that individual laws have been repealed, but that the entire body of laws as a functioning, coherent law code no longer applies to those under the new covenant in Christ. Christians died to the law with Christ and are therefore not under the old written code. References Romans 7, 1 through 6 there. He says, Now there are plenty of commands in the New Testament that Christians are meant to obey. It's not that there are no law for Christians. Paul says we are under the law of Christ, 1 Corinthians 9, 21. And there are continuities between New Testament laws and some of those in the Old Testament. But it's not a part of the law is still operative, but this part is not anymore scenario. The old covenant law as an operative law code has been repealed 
by Christ. So he's saying, Old Covenant, obsolete. It's, it's, it's no longer functioning. The New Covenant has replaced it. Now, are there similarities and are there continuities between the ethics of the New Covenant and the Old Covenant? Of course, it's the same God, it's the same reality. So the, there are similarities there, but the Old Covenant law, as the Old Covenant law as a unit, is not binding on us. Um, still doesn't quite get to the answer yet, like what is, what is our law, but it's still helpful to clarify. You're opening, you're, you're flipping pages I, in the I scriptures. Was, I was mostly just thinking, because uh, we'd gone through it recently, Acts 10 with Peter um, and the the sheet coming down, uh, Acts 10, 14, um, 10, 13, there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Voice came to him again a second time, what God has made clean, do not call common. Um, and then, and then, Peter's inwardly perplexed by this idea. So he's like essentially seeing these things that he's never eaten, that he's not supposed to eat under the law. And essentially God is telling him, you may now eat it's repealed. Eat, eat these things. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah. it's gone. Yeah, that's right. Um, and, and it's that moment in the story, it's a part of this kind of composite event of the new covenant and the new covenant community becoming established and, um, and so it's not all like there's some yeah it's not clip perfect everything's not perfect because right. the gospel's spreading and Gentiles the, are coming in growing and, an understanding as to the implications of the new covenant um, yeah I mean a lot of acts is that it's like working out the implications of the new covenant's newness that's right in the life of Jews and Gentiles and in many ways it's interesting to think about the New Testament as essentially it's essentially the theology develops because mission is taking place yeah. Um, Theology happens in mission because the gospel starts to spread and you're starting to wrestle with these new questions, different ideas. And so then they're forming kind of theological points to get at the law code is repealed. And we can go back to like a Matthew 5 that the, the law is fulfilled in Christ and yep. therefore it's you know repealed. But just thinking through those ideas. Yeah. All right, what else? Number one was repealed as law code in Christ. His second is recognized as prophecy about Christ. So you think about the road to Emmaus in Luke chapter 24 when... Jesus appears to these two guys, don't realize he's Jesus yet, and then it says that Jesus spends time showing how the law and the prophets all point to Christ, and he says the law and the prophets. It's interesting to think of the law as prophecy, or the law prefiguring Jesus, but that's what Jesus tells us it does. One really obvious place to think about this, or an obvious example, is the Day of Atonement. Um, When you think about, the, I mean, as Christians whose imaginations have very much been shaped by the pictures and imagery of Jesus dying for sin, the, the lamb shedding its blood for sinners. When we read about the Day of Atonement, it's like abundantly clear to us you know, how it points to Jesus. But Jesus tells us that the end game of these practices was himself. It was the, the law, was prophecy about Jesus. It, it pointed and prepared us for Jesus, both in the sense of telling us, kind of prefiguring what Jesus was going to do, and also by... Um, Showing us our condemnation, like by showing us our inability to obey and our need for grace, like that. In that way, it's prophecy about Jesus as well. Um, and then the last thing, and and this is really kind of where it all. Th- this is kind of what this whole podcast has been driving to, is that the law is reappropriated as wisdom in Christ. So Second Corinthians three sixteen, all scriptures God breathed, given to God for teaching, uh, exhortation, rebuking. Um, there's one more. What am I forgetting? Um, anyway, um, 
what scriptures are you referring to there? He's talking about the Old Testament scriptures. It's, of course, we understand now. He's talking about New Testament scriptures, but he's talking about the Old Testament. Romans 15, 4, those things that were written in the former days, they were written for our instruction, for our encouragement. And so all of the Old Testament, especially the law, has a ton of wisdom for us. It tells us about God, his purposes in the world, his design for the world. The Ten Commandments have a lot to tell us about righteousness, but it's not necessarily the supreme expression of ethics, nor is it necessarily kind of the, the binding um, code of ethics on us because the, the law covenant, uh, the law as a unit rather, has passed away with the old covenant. So it's brilliant, it's instructive, some of it's repeated in the New Testament. Um, we should inhabit it and allow it to form our, our, our imagination, but the law code as a unit is fulfilled and is obsolete and is therefore not our law code. Mm. Um, there's things to learn, but it's not the law for us. Yeah. Which feel, it feels a little bit like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth. Yeah. But, um, a great place to see this is in 1 Corinthians seven nineteen. So Paul says, neither circumcision or, or uncircumcision counts for anything. What matters is keeping God's command. Hmm. And it's like, that's a little bit confusing because circumcision was God's command. Hmm. And so what he seems to be saying here is that there's a deeper law at play. It's like God's heart that's kind of beneath the law. Like he, he by his spirit, he gives us that and he's teaching us kind of, over time and, and kind of giving us the wisdom to see and align our heart with his heart. And what Paul says is that's the law of Christ, which Jesus summarizes as love God and love neighbor. Mm. Um, and so there's this kind of, uh, we, we read through the old law and we inhabit it and we think about it and we try and think through God's, the, the God's purposes behind it and God's character that's revealed in it. And then we, being led by the Spirit and and the teaching of the New Testament, it it kind of works itself out in our life in our particular situations. Um, Again, another place you see this is in Ephesians 6, when Paul tells children to obey their parents, and he appeals to the Ten Commandments. And it's like Paul saying, like, hey, there's there's wisdom, and there's a kind of obvious moral good here for you to do. Um, But he doesn't say, hey, the Ten Commandments say, and because it's the Ten Commandments, you should do it. It seems like he's saying like appealing to its to its wisdom. Does that make sense? That's right. Yeah. And I think that's helpful there. Even in going through our series in Proverbs um, previously, it's like there is just wisdom that is gained through living that the New Testament then makes further clear. Like we, we understand murder is wrong. Um, yeah, the New Testament makes that clear through the Ten Commandments, but it's not the Ten Commandments as the Ten Commandments, yeah. like it is for, for Israel. Yeah. So help well, us. Yeah, murder is wrong, not because the Ten Commandments say it's wrong, but because it's wrong. That's right. And the Ten Commandments are like a particular kind of instantiation of that principle, but it's wrong because it's wrong, and that's that's the fabric of the universe, and and that's the just the way things are, and that has its roots in God's heart and in God's character, and part of what He's given us is His Holy Spirit. And the teaching of the New Testament, of course, to like, to tell us that. Um, so it's it's a little bit tricky because it's. Um, I wish I could give you a list of ten things to do. I wish I could give you a list of fifty things to do, hundred and twenty things to do, whatever. I li- wish I could give you a list. Jesus says, "Love, mm. love God, love your neighbor." We have the scriptures that we're to devote ourselves to and to learn, and to grow, and to to use wisdom to implement in our very specific situations, but. On the, on the one hand, it's really simple and really clear and really basic. On the other hand, it it's kind of requires some finesse and yeah. some 
I think it's also helpful to think like we are not saved by what we do. That's right. So kind of in there's kind of an inherent nature in that that we don't we're not inherently held by like a an explicit law um, that could puts us in or puts us out. Right. Um, maybe maybe the law of Christ. I was even just thinking of the question like why why then the law? Why did we have the law? And you helpfully pointed to Romans eight three and four on Sunday. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Um, I'll just, I'll just stop there. But essentially the, the law revealed that we are really not capable. Um, it's more of a mirror, um, we yeah. might say to, to show us that. And even thinking about all of these laws and maybe it's like, man, I don't even know what that means exactly. You know, I don't know what animal even qualifies for that law. Um, but it's just showing God's great care. Whenever I read, you were talking about Exodus kind of being a place where Bible reading starts to slog, but it's so interesting to just read Exodus, Leviticus, you know, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And it's like, man, God just really cares for the purity of his people, mm. for his people to be distinct, for his people to be set apart. Um, and, and try and get at being better when I'm reading those sections to look at the big picture. And yet I'm sure we can learn a ton from like very specific verses um, that's very helpful to do. But just getting getting better at, especially knowing you know me and my Bible reading or just normal member of Ridgewood Church, it's like we just want you in taking more of God's word. It's like, well, let's let's think about what's the big picture of all these Levitical laws, yeah. As opposed to like, okay, I'm gonna slice and I'm gonna go read every commentary there is on each specific law to be sure I you know understand am I obeying it or not or how right. does this work? Um, but God cares for the purity of His people. So well, that's really. Let me let me add this. Yeah. Like that's really good. Um, God is not concerned with us doing good as much as He's concerned about us being good. He's not as concerned about you doing holy things as He is concerned about Aaron being holy, mm. being a certain kind of person. Um, well, to go back to that water at Applebee's thing, it's like. That's the goal with your kids, right? Is we have these standards. You can only play video games certain days of the week, certain amount. What we hope they do is they grow up to love that standard and internalize that standard. And they grow up to see, like, eh, yeah, it's kind of a waste of time. I don't want to spend my life playing video games. We don't want them to be begrudging of that standard until they get on their own and then they do whatever they want. You know what I mean? We want them to internalize it. We want them to become a certain type of person. And that's what, that's exactly what the New Testament tells us has happened, that Jesus that the people of Israel were a test case in this, like, the, the law was water off a duck's back. It was an external standard. And then by the Spirit, through the grace of God, He writes the law in our hearts, and he, we internalize it, and we become virtuous people. It's, and, and it's our being that precedes our doing, kind of in that way. Um, so that's what He's come to do. And it would be easier if we could give you a list of do's and don'ts, but that's not necessarily what God has chosen to do. Yeah, that's good. So you fleshed out just a minute ago kind of this law of love, love God, love love neighbor. Help us just flesh that out a little bit more. That seems to be kind of the the code of ethics for Christians. How do you how do you think about that? How did you derive that as being kind of the answer? Yeah, well <clears throat> and there there's a it's recorded in a few places in the gospels, but Mark twelve the, the teachers of the law asked Jesus, like, hey, what's the most essential teaching of the law? And he says, love God and love neighbor. Um, he expresses that as the summary of the law. Um, then you have Paul kind of picking up on that and, it, and kind of 
riffing on it, kind of taking his angle on it in a place like Galatians 6 2, where he talks about bearing one another's burdens, which is language we use a lot around here, but bear one another's burdens. And he says, in doing that, you fulfill the law of Christ. Um, yeah. So Jesus teaches, Paul teaches, the New Testament kind of vision is we're people of love, and, and that's what God is creating in us is love for him and love for our neighbor. That's great. You you noted earlier the work of the Spirit. I do. Uh, it does seem like in the New Testament that the work of the Spirit, you know, pushing us towards wisdom and how to love God and how to love our neighbor is very important. Um, even I've tried to kind of grow in ethical choices. Um, we want to heed what God's Word says. We want to heed what the New Testament says, and then also kind of want to heed what, what's the Spirit pushing me towards, you know, in this thing. Because um, a lot of it ends up being gray, you know. Mm. I was talking with um, Zach even the other day. We were talking a little bit about food and, like, gluttony. And it's like, well, I can't really tell you when you've eaten too much and you idolize food, but it's like you just kind of have to assess and and be prompted by the Spirit that it's like, man, I eat a whole pack of Oreos when I sit down. It's like, maybe that's not the best, um, you know, as opposed to, I enjoy a few Oreos, you know, to kind of enjoy the night with. Um, so there's a prompting of the spirit that I try to be open to that's kind of I bind my own conscience yeah. according to kind of certain external spirit-led laws that I'm not really willing to bind other people's conscience to. Yeah. But I do want to talk with people about, like, but this is the standard I've kind of set for myself. That doesn't need to be a standard for you, but you probably do have to think about, can I eat a pack of Oreos every night? Like, that's that's probably not a good thing. Um, yeah, that probably doesn't help us. Yeah, <coughs> yeah. Well, there, and there's that kind of you know it when you see it dynamic at play, and it's like the 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 line is not in the same place for every person. Um, yeah, and gluttony for you might not. There, there's obvious things. A whole pack of Oreos in one sitting is probably gluttony for everyone, but the finer points of that, you know, maybe the boundaries of that are in a different place for me than for you. Um, and it really is like the spirit kind of working on my heart and teaching me wisdom and. And, and the particularities of our case um, that we and the point you made a moment ago how the spirit sort of leads the church into realization over time is I mean I still think that's how he works um, and, uh, and and I think that's what the, the Christian ethic is is the spirit working itself out in our life through through love yep and I think it works itself out in so many ways giving of money we're not going to hold up that you have to give a tithe, right? You know, or we're gonna come house tithe, you or that's something. That's the old covenant. That's, that's the old covenant. But it's like, well, that's a that was there. It's kind of helpful measuring stick. Um, how much do I love my my own money? Do I have yep. to give this? And it's like I can't really measure it for you. Ten percent might be exactly right for you. It yep. might be way too little. It might you. be way too. Yeah, it, exactly. It, yeah. Um, so being kind of willing to be prompted by the spirit of, am I attached to these things or yeah. this idea? Um, I think, sorry, one more thing. I I think about in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus says, um, you have to have a righteousness that exceeds the Pharisees. And that's what he's come to do is to create a community of people. And that has puzzled interpreters because there's some who who think that Jesus is saying, you can't, you have to be forgiven. Therefore, Christian people are those who are aware of their need for forgiveness, which is true, but that's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is that we have to have a righteousness that exceeds the Pharisees in depth. In other words, it's not a performative righteousness for people to applaud you on the street street corners. It's a 
an actual righteousness. It's a heart that actually wants to be generous. It's a heart that wants to be hospitable. It's a heart that wants to want to be generous, that wants to want to be hospitable. Like that's the, that's the thing. It's not about doing good. It's about being good. And that's what Jesus has come to do for us. I love that. Matthew six, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is giving or, you know, vice versa. Don't be like the hypocrite, stand up in the synagogues and pray really loud, big prayers. That's right. Um, You know, I think about even for me, it was like when I first came to the Lord, I've joked with other guys about this, like on a on a retreat, it'll be like, oh man, I'm gonna wake up at five o'clock. I'm gonna be reading my Bible and everybody comes down from, you know, we're staying in a hotel. Like right. Aaron is so holy, he's there. And it's like, but I didn't do that yesterday. And yeah. I'm probably not gonna do it on Monday when we get back. That's right. I'm just kind of trying to perform for everybody. So it's kind of funny how I've gotten to a different place, like as a pastor where I'm almost trying to not purposely go the opposite way of that, but kind of be like, this is who I really am. Like, yeah, this is who I really am walking with the Lord and you know, as opposed to putting it on a show and yeah. in front of others. Um, all right, well, tell me a little bit about what do we do with sexuality? Yeah. A, you know, a criticism of Christians condemning same-sex relationships goes a little bit like this. Leviticus has lots of repealed laws. Why not the one on, you know, homosexuality? Uh, Leviticus 16 says homosexuality is a, an abomination. Jesus seems to repudiate laws. Why not this one? Why pick and choose just based on... Yeah. you know, hatred yeah, or something like that. Yeah, I mean, you'll, you'll hear that kind of lobbied against Christians. It's like, yeah, the, the only place where the Bible like really specifically condemns um, homosexuality is in Leviticus, and you eat crawfish, so why do you still hang on to this one? Um, I mean, that's a, that's a tough one. If you're not, if you're not ready to, if, if you don't have an understanding of the relationship of the New and Old Covenant and the relationship of the law, it's tough. I mean, what I'd say is a couple of things. So one... Jesus speaks to it in Matthew 19 um, when he says, do you not know that marriage is between a man and a woman? And then he quotes Genesis chapter 2 where he says, it's one man, one flesh coming together. Jesus expresses what marriage is in the positive and therefore, and it's rooted in created order. You keep giving us the time signals. We're, we're, we're running and going, Jonathan. Let the, people, let the people have what they want. Quit telling us to land the plane. Are, the people we... probably want you to be quiet, but... They no, they don't. They, they don't. they don't. They the don't. They're loving. They're listening to us on like one point seven five speed. So we're only like sixteen minutes in here. Okay, that's we're a good fine. point. That's a good point. We have a buffer. Um, but yeah. So Jesus expresses in the positive what marriage is, and therefore rules out any alternative or aberration from that. Obviously, and and it's rooted in created order. He doesn't appeal to the law. Doesn't appeal to the Ten Commandments. He he appeals to Genesis chapter one, Genesis chapter two man and woman created for each other. And Jesus says, that's what marriage is. Mm. And that means, you know, Jesus never speaks about bestiality or pedophilia, pedophilia or any other aberration from that. But he says, this is what marriage is. Therefore, anything other than this is illegitimate. So Jesus does speak to it. But secondly, I think you can make the case from God's second book, which is what Christians have referred to as natural law. In other words, um, if Jesus in the Bible didn't speak to this, I think we could figure this out based on reflection about what sex is for, what sex does, God's intentions for sex based on what it is from, from observation. We can, we can see God's design and God's wisdom sort of even preceding and beneath the text in Leviticus and elsewhere. Um, and so I think that that, I think the fact that that's the case helps us to see that, that this law code, though it's repealed in Christ is different and that it has its roots and a deeper sort of underlying principle there. 
um, which I think is what the civil ceremonial moral thing is trying to get at, but I think it's foisting categories that aren't there. But, but I think that the kind of the idea that there are um, like deeper truths that underlie these laws that are written into reality, I, I think that we can discern what those are by reflection on, on reality. Yeah. And I think this is one such case. Yeah. Does God's, that make sense? Yeah. God's law has been, you know, put on our hearts. You know, I, we, we even, you know, Romans one talking about, we know enough to even be condemned yeah. by just looking <clears> at the world, <throat> looking at man and woman and the compatibility, um, the complementary nature of it, right. the necessity of it for ha- having, you know, to, to be able to, have a child or something like that, you would, you, you see it. Um, that is very different than any other nature. And that doesn't speak to obviously like sin has damaged so much of that from, um, you know, people not being able to have children to adultery and you know, all there's, there's many issues that, 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 that happen in it. But, um, but we understand, we, we intuit that those are exceptions to the rule. That's right. Yeah, and and the Protestant tradition rightfully has. We're recording this on Reformation Day, so yay Protestantism. But the Protestant tradition has, um, you know, rightfully emphasized God's revealed word and the need to prioritize and, and and love that and devote ourselves to it. But other Christian traditions have also, and Protestants have too, just not as much, have emphasized God's revelation through His world, through natural law, mm-hmm. through what we can know about. God and his world through just observing nature. You think of the Psalms, which say God declares his glory through the stars, the sky and things. So there's the, the Bible calls us to do that. And this is one such case where by reflecting on nature, we can see God's design for things. That's right. And the scripture, excuse me, the scriptures obviously reaffirm that in multiple ways in multiple places, both in the old covenant and in the new covenant. One of the way, one of the things I love, even about a passage like Ephesians five, like it can feel like, you know, marriage, may, maybe the chief end is is having children, and and that's obviously an important, a very important thing. But thinking about Ephesians five, like marriage is displaying the gospel. There is something very beautiful about a man laying down his life for for his bride, not in passivity, but in like strength yeah. and leadership and. Um, these great qualities that are qualities of Christ that we're pursuing, obviously tainted all by sin and all of that. But we we see both enough in Scripture and enough in the natural law, yeah, to 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 see that you know something like homosexuality is is out out of bounds. Yeah, yeah. There, there's actually a great book by a guy named Jay Budashevsky. He's a professor at the University of Texas um, called "On the Meaning of Sex," and it's a na- natural law kind of exploration of sex and it's brilliantly done. And mm. he just sort of like reasons from the ground up, so to speak, into biblical sexual ethics um, without, he's a Christian, but without invoking the Bible, just to show like, no, God's design is is plain if we're mm. willing to see it. Mm. Um, it's really good. Yeah, that's great. Uh, I believe he is Roman Catholic, but um, maybe that's another topic for, an, for another podcast is talk about natural law. Yeah. Um, but yeah, th- we recognize there's a lot of brain twistiness to this, and there's probably some paradigm shifting comments that have been made along the way in this podcast. And you know, we're we're speaking very kind of black and white, but I think it's probably safe to say that we're we're still kind of maybe perfecting and and tweaking our own views on this. So we're we're open to being convinced otherwise if there's different ways of articulating the relationship of the new and old covenant and the law and, and that kind of thing. But 
this is kind of where we're at today. That's so right. Would would love to talk more about this if you have questions. That's right. Um, super grateful for you guys joining us. Hopefully, this was uh, a helpful conversation, and and pray that you will you will be freed from feeling bound by the law, um, whatever that may look like for you. But also pray that you, you know you are bound by the law of Christ mm-hmm. and to love God and to to love others and pray that we would give our lives for the sake of uh, making much of the glory of Christ. And even as I think about, you know, one kind of concluding thought is I think about ethical decisions or making, making choices, like what is going to bring God glory in this that, so influence that by the reading of the word, influence that by the prompting of the spirit, influence that by men and women I look up to who are mentors and who emulate Christ and then try to make the best decision I can and and proceed right on so thank you guys for joining us and we'll talk again with you soon